Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Voice Memos podcast. We're on week three of the return of the weekly Voice Memos, so, you know, staying a little bit consistent, staying a wee bit consistent, but yeah, anyways, hopefully you guys have been doing well, hope the last week was kind to you, and if not, that's all right, you know? I love posting these at midnight um, on Monday because I feel like it kind of signifies the beginning of a new week perfectly. And so I know there's some people that stay up till then uh, or might be on Pacific time. So it's not actually that late for you guys. Um, but if you're one of those people that's listening right when it releases, um, go get some sleep. <laughs> you can listen to it in the morning. But anyways, welcome back to the podcast. Today's topic is going to be surrounding my switch to YouTube and how that actually ended up working out. I feel like the the topics that we're going to be covering in uh, the next week or so are going to be surrounding just catching up. I feel like so much has happened since the podcast took a pause that uh, it's going to be a bit to kind of get back up to speed. So I hope you guys understand that. Um, but I also know not everyone listening to the podcast you know, watches my short form videos or watches my long form videos or even like might not even care about that. Um, but just in general, some thoughts on reaching 100,000 subscribers. I kind of wanted to discuss that because um, that's been the dream. You know, for so many kids growing up, uh, at least in my generation, it was always like, I want to be a YouTuber. And so to officially reach this milestone uh, a little over a month ago was extremely profound in the sense that it kind of validated a lot of the work I'd done. And I know people always say like, wow, like I ended up getting 100K or I ended up reaching this monetary goal. It didn't make me happy because like blah, blah, blah. It's a journey, not the destination. I'll be honest, guys, looking at the silver play button, it does feel like it paid off. And so far, I've not really gotten used to it, uh, even though it's been like a month now. But who knows? I will say it has been worth it. Um... But yeah, I think there's some points that I want to make. I know a lot of the content and a lot of the narrative that I like to focus on surrounding YouTube revolves around pushing the platform forward in terms of meaningful storytelling. Uh, and so I want to talk about how I got to this point, uh, any any points that I stumbled and fell, and just any advice that I'd give along the way of maybe your own content journey or your journey in life. Um, because at the end of the day... I think the lessons that I've learned getting to 100k on YouTube are pretty applicable throughout any sort of medium uh, within your own life. So, yeah, I, I think it's a topic that I've been wanting to, to dive into. Um, but before we do that, I want to give a huge shout out to Sam. So if you guys don't know, Sam uh, is a real big part of why this podcast actually came back. Uh, he's actually the editor for the clips. He's kind of like a producer role now. So we brought him onto the team and he's been doing a lot of work in terms of editing, setting up future goals for ourselves. We want to start a Patreon, maybe some merch. And so he's really been at the core of bringing uh, this, this, this format back. And it's something I miss a lot. So thank you so much, Sam. Uh, you're probably listening to this right now looking for some clip moments. But yeah, just want to say I really appreciate you. That being said, let's start talking about content. Okay, so my own content journey started when I was around eight years old, uh, started making home videos, the classic, you know, messing around with my friends. Um, a lot of it is still on YouTube. Uh, I think Squirtikit MSS is one of the first channels that I, I put a lot of my work on. Uh, my work, I say my work, but they were like, honestly, like 
I'm not sure how old I was during that time, but they're pretty well edited. I even have a voiceover at one point. But I always love making those home videos with my neighbors, my friends. And so I'm not sure why I decided to get into videos that young. I think it was my dad who would always record all the best moments I had growing up. So whether that's like, you know, getting rid of a baby tooth uh, or my first haircut or my first soccer game. Uh, he'd always be documenting that. So I think I got a lot of that from him. But I also just loved watching YouTube. I think growing up in an area that wasn't very diverse, um, there weren't many people that looked like me. I, I kind of navigated towards online spaces as a way to look up to people like Ryan Higa, uh, to look up to people like Rocket Jump, Freddie Wong. And I think those were people I looked up to and, you know, they're people that look like me and they're making videos. So I should be making videos. And that was kind of my escape in terms of that. And so I'd start making videos, just basic uh, edits, nothing too crazy. I think from then I was always gravitated to the medium, whether it be moving on through eighth grade and editing college football hype up videos on YouTube. Um, you can look up Wolver Reel. That was the name of that channel, whether it became I got really into like the Call of Duty commentary scene when I was growing up. I remember that was when the Phase House uh, was officially made, the first original Phase House, which is kind of weird that those guys were only in high school at the time, but they were kind of moving in together, making videos. I love Phase Rain and everything. And so I kind of went through a commentator arc sort of thing. Uh, you can look up VizzyYT for that channel. And, you know, I'd, the format would grow. I, I'd be pretty heavily involved online. And eventually, my freshman year, I decided to start playing this game called Madden Mobile. Now, Madden Mobile is like Madden, but on your phone. Okay, that's the best way I can describe it. Pretty self-explanatory. But it had taken over a lot of the kids my age. Like, everyone was playing the game. Everyone was sniping players. And, you know, I remember distinctly coming into the cafeteria before school started. You know, everyone would get dropped off by their parents or dropped off by the bus. And they come into this cafeteria area. And everyone in that area, all the all the kids were playing Madden Mobile. And so it was a big deal uh, when I was in like eighth grade, seventh grade. And so naturally, kind of the first thing I did was I created an Instagram account because there were these online Instagram communities of people that played Madden Mobile. And essentially what they do is sell coins. So I'd go ahead and sell like $20 worth of coins from this game. And I'd get it through playing or something called sniping, which is just buying players cheap, selling them higher, right? And so I kind of did that through eighth grade, you know, got like my first 80 bucks Amazon gift card. Uh, I made a bot in like a macro program, which sounds really confusing, but it's really not. It's just an app on Android where you record your touches and it plays it back and you kind of leave that out um, to automate the process of getting players cheap. And so there's this amazing culture. And what I quickly realized is, hey, I kind of, you know, first of all, want to start making videos surrounding this. So uh, that channel was King Mobile. I think I took those videos down um, because I was like out of pocket in a lot of them. I was pretty boisterous. Um, not something I'm extremely proud of, but obviously part of my journey. And so I uploaded many videos. It would be uploading like I used to upload like five videos a week on Madden Mobile. I remember going to the bathroom between classes and or right before class started and publishing a video for the day because essentially how it worked in the game is promos came out at like 9 a.m so i'd want to upload the video uh, right when the promos came out so i'd like 
go to the bathroom during class and publish um, a video. And that's kind of how I first got my foot in the door of like serious YouTube making. I bought an Elgato. Um, I was making some monetization money then. So it'd be like $100 a month. And that was really cool for me. It felt like I had my own autonomy. And so from that, what kind of, you know, I know this is a long story here, but I'm kind of just want to give you guys the, the layout of how everything happened. Uh, from the Mad Mobile channel, we reached like 10,000 subscribers. It was really exciting. I'd get a few thousand video reviews on each video. And I felt like I was part of a community, which was amazing. And so moving on from those videos, I think I obviously learned how to edit because I was using Sony Vegas like every single day to edit these videos down. Um, I also did some editing work at the time as well. So I was really honing my skills there. And I think what's funny is like at every point leading up to that point, And even then I really felt like those channels were things I had a hundred percent belief in. It's funny looking back on it. Like obviously those videos weren't great, but internally I had this feeling like, Oh, this is what's gonna like allow me to make it. Like these videos are going to blow up and I'm going to make it. And that's how I felt even making Minecraft YouTube videos growing up, which is like a really naive way of thinking. But I think in a way that helped me continue stepping forward and moving up. And I remember like resenting a lot that there was this big YouTuber in the space. His name's MMG. And during his high school, he made a lot of manual videos. And that was when I was like in seventh, eighth grade, sixth grade. And that's when the 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 game was really blowing up so I always felt like I was a few years behind the trend and that would have changed my life looking back on it I'm so happy none of those videos ever did well because I would not want to be stuck making uh Madden gaming videos right now <laughs> but essentially that's kind of like how I dove into content and then I remember as junior year came around in high school uh it, it was the year I decided to quit that channel I was focusing more on getting into college and writing my applications and the game was kind of dying um, through that you know for about a year I had uh, an online website that sold coins and so that was really cool to have my first dip into the world of business and so I got pretty lucky there um, but as junior year of high school came around I was like yo screw this I'm just gonna focus on on getting into college you know uh, because as you do as a junior in high school and so that year was really tough for me. Um, I think it's kind of funny looking back because I was like, oh, I was a junior in high school. Like, what did I know? But in a way, that was really tough for me as transformative year. Um, but most importantly, I think that made me realize, like, it is hard to when you don't have a creative outlet. You know, like at that point, I wasn't making videos at all. And that was kind of my first time not pursuing video making since I was like eight years old. Right. And so that's kind of the distance that allowed me to realize like this is something I want to go all in for and so I remember I think it was that summer uh TikTok came out and I was like okay I promised myself like the next big thing that happens I'm going to hop on that train and I want to try again one final time before I graduate high school I want to make something happen and I want to create and and become a creator because that's always been my goal right and so I'd seen some success but still it was nothing tangible and so as the summer came around, TikTok came up. I thought this opportunity that I'd have to hop on would always be like a video game. So I thought there was going to be another Fortnite craze and I just hop onto that. But it was TikTok. And so I created an account on there. I was like, yo, this is really cool. It is so easy to get views. I made a bunch of stupid meme. You can probably find them somewhere. Just like 
dark humor joke videos um they were pretty funny and I, so i got an account up to like fifty thousand followers or something like that in the early days of tiktok this was like the months after it kind of shifted into tiktok itself and so i was like this is kind of cool and i remember making those videos and not feeling very proud of them i'd literally just repost them a bunch of times and one would pop off or one wouldn't uh, i remember specifically there was a i had like a nostalgia series where i'd kind of throw back nostalgic songs they do well and I remember one day I was late to to class, late to school in high school. I drove up and uh, a video I posted the night before blew up and it had like two million views. And that I distinctly remember that dopamine rush in my head, which might not be a healthy thing. I was like getting hooked up to the machine that is TikTok, but I didn't know it at the time. And I thought that was really cool um, to kind of have, you know, that be something that, hey, this is kind of working out. And so I kind of looked at my content I was making, and this was more of an experiment. I was just making stupid trend videos. And as that account kind of came to a close, and I looked at it, I'm like, I want to do something different. I started to take in more content from people like Montel Fish and Miles Carter, two people I really look up to. And they had always made like spoken word videos, and they're just make the most beautiful things. Montel has since evolved into a, a mus musical artist, and he's you probably heard of him. He's a big deal now. Um, but at the time, he made some spoken word videos. I was like, this is really cool. Let me bring that format to TikTok. And so I remember on that first TikTok account, the last video I posted was like reasons to smile. Or I think it was like reasons to keep going or something like that. And it was just a horizontal video. There was like anime, aesthetic anime edits in the background. I'd just gotten into anime. Um, it was one minute long, which by the way, like back then, no one posted long videos on TikTok. It was like, why would you do that? Also, no one really edited their TikToks outside of the native platform. It was just all trends. And so I think that gave me an edge. Um, so I booted up Premiere Pro because I had it for... Um, actually, I don't think I used Premiere Pro at the time. I used Sony Vegas. And so I booted it up. I edited a quick little video, did a voiceover, really cringe, nothing crazy. Um, but for me, that was really awesome to to be able to create something more meaningful. And it felt like... I was able to convey my emotions in a vulnerable way online. And so after posting that video, it did pretty well. I think it got like a few hundred thousand views on TikTok. And I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Instantly made a new account for that sort of content, called it Wholesome Simon. And that's what started everything. And it was kind of in the next few months, uh, I should have an excerpt from like uh, my high school's um, yearbook, I believe. I think it was in the yearbook or it might've just been like, uh, an article someone wrote but essentially like at the time I grew that account to like 50,000 followers in like a month posting those videos because it was different you know no one really had emotional content on the platform at the time and so I instantly realized that's what I want to do and ended each video off with keep it wholesome and obviously those videos weren't great but looking back on it it was pretty innovative you know like no one was bringing emotion to the platform no one was editing outside of the native TikTok app uh, and so I, I was creating without even knowing if there was an audience for it. Like I had no idea if people wanted to consume that type of content on TikTok. Would people even, you know, want to sit down for one minute and, and watch a video on TikTok? I had no clue, but it felt right for me. So that's kind of what started all of this. And then obviously been posting on TikTok for like two years after that, growing that account to a million followers, doing the school build and all these different amazing projects. And it came to a, co a point where... It began to become very formulaic you know as a creator you kind of go through this you find some success and you keep 
you know, getting that feedback loop of, hey, you have to do it that way. And so for me, it was like, wow, great, this is working. But I always knew that YouTube, going back to like my eight-year-old dream, was what I wanted to do. You know, every year I'd put down, okay, I have a goal for TikTok, whatever, I a goal for the business, whatever. But the real goal is for YouTube hitting 100K. Even like a year ago, I, I had a little 100K play button on my wall. And when I took the gap year, I wrote out, you have one year to close the gap, get to 100K. Um, and so I, it's always been in the back of my mind. And so I took the gap year, met a lot of cool YouTube friends, as you guys know the, the story. And if, if any of this is like, I'm skipping a lot of details here in the story, but um, you can check out my took a gap year to travel the world. It kind of gives more context to it on YouTube. Um, but essentially, what I, what I realized was, hey, this is great and all. There were two, two factors to my reason to move to, take, to YouTube. First of all, just creatively speaking, making a one-minute video, you can only say so much. And the idea that you can be forgotten after one scroll and your content just disappears into the ether is a scary thing. I felt like I'd been able to grow a pretty good community. People knew who Simon was. People knew the Reason to Smile series on TikTok. But even then, I felt like I'd maxed out the amount of community I could build on, on the app. And for me, it was like the, the creative fulfillment I get after sitting down for like 30 minutes and posting something is unbelievable. And if somehow I can make that the thing I do, I would love every day that I would get to create. And in a way, it felt like progression as well. But it's an interesting thing because you ask most TikTokers who have been, if they've been creating for more than like a year, they'll say they want to be a YouTuber. It's just kind of like a holistic, or not holistic, it's kind of just an underlying idea that everyone understands is like, the thing about TikTok is videos get served to you. But the thing about YouTube is you need to like, like someone has to trust you enough to click on your video, sit with you for 20 minutes. And I realized after watching a few videos from my friends, Natalie and Aiden, you know, especially Aiden's, I took a road trip with a stranger video. After the screen went black, after those 20 minutes, I just kind of laid in bed feeling inspired. I was like, holy moly, that was incredible. And I realized that was that feeling that I want to emulate. I want to create something where the only measure of success would be when the screen goes black on this video, I want them to like watch this video, lay down and just think about it for a bit. I want them to a viewer to refer back to the video like a month from now. I think there's something so beautiful about that that is very rare on TikTok and you're very limited to. And so that those are kind of the reasons of why I decided to switch over. And so what's kind of funny is I'd been kind of toying with that switch over over the summer, over the gap year. I'd been making more YouTube videos, but I wasn't there yet. My skill set wasn't there yet, which was kind of frustrating as posting all the time and hating the video after you post, but you just got to keep going. I think I got a lot of that from the Mad Mobile days of just got to keep going, right? And so I think more of at the end of my gap year when I edited that Natalie video, the van life one, that was kind of the beginning of this new chapter of like, okay, these videos are, are decent, right? They can get me somewhere. And so I posted seven ads on TikTok or something like that. 
and decided to just jump ship. Um, I needed to pay the bills in that transition, and I think that's the scariest part. But that's why I just posted a bunch of ads on TikTok, and those supported me for the beginning of the school year until I posted the gap year video. It did really well, and that afforded me the ability to leap over. And now my main focus is YouTube and then short form whenever I feel like it, right? And so there are a few lessons that I've learned within this story and something I've been thinking about as I've been listening to it's more specifically Rick Rubin speak. There's a great podcast by him with uh, Professor Huberman, which I thought was amazing. But essentially, like when I look back at like how I was able to make that leap and how I was able to jump to YouTube, it becomes clear that there is this idea of, hey, do what works for you. For example, like when I was posting those meme TikToks, I could have just kept doing that. Those were doing well. You know, I'd wake up with like a million views or a hundred thousand views, but they weren't what I genuinely authentically wanted to do. I wanted to create more meaningful content. I wanted to create more spoken word content. And so I just did that. It's scary to switch like that, but I just did that. And then I did that for a while, started getting more formulaic. Hey, I want to make YouTube videos. And I did that. And obviously it's a scary thing. It's like, wow, are people really going to care? But I've learned, and as I look more around at the creatives that have lasted lasted years, if I look at like Pharrell or even like YouTubers like PewDiePie or whatnot, who are still like relevant. And just a side note, I think a better, even better analogy of this is I was listening to the Lil Yachty album today. Hang with me here. And a lot of people are saying this album is incredible. And I was listening to it. I was like, this is great. He's like experimenting. This sounds a lot different. And then I kind of had the idea of connecting these dots of why is Lil Yachty still relevant in culture today? But then why is Lil Pump or like Smoke Perp? And this will make no sense if you don't understand these people. But why is Lil Yachty still relevant in culture today? And why is Smoke Perp and Lil Pump, why are they irrelevant? And it's because the authenticity and what they do and that ability to just chase after what feels right for you. Like maybe Lil Pump wanted to switch up his whole image. Maybe he wanted to switch up everything. But he was afraid to do that because he knew the numbers would fall. And he just kept chasing the same thing over and over. And I see a lot of creatives doing this too. Like creating the same 15 second TikToks. Creating the same 30 second TikToks. Creating the same video over and over and over and over and over. And eventually you have to switch or else you're going to die. It's not sustainable. But that switch is scary. It's going against everything that's working. It's being more vulnerable. But if you're able to do that and you're able to realize those emotions within you and and respond to them, then I've learned that that's what attributes to long-term success is not finding a format that works. It's finding a format that works for now until you're not interested in it and switching to the next thing. And that's what allowed me to take my jump from TikTok to YouTube. And there was a lot of growing pains and I wasn't great at editing long form for a while, but I knew that that was the goal and I committed to it which was scary, but now I'm more happy than ever to be off of the platform that is TikTok. And so in anything you create, I want you to think about that is more of, and even in life, is more of being more authentic to yourself in terms of like, do I really want to do this? What do I actually want to do? And there are going to be a lot of growing pains, but you get better and better at doing that. Tyler, the creator said, as you get older and get more mature as an artist, you become more of a sniper. I think that kind of applies as well as like shift your focus to the next thing and the next thing. 
And for some people, that might be going from being a YouTuber, a content creator, to going to be a podcaster. It might be going to be a podcaster to a businessman. It might be going from a businessman to be a designer, to be an artist, to work on music. Montel Fish was able to change from being a content creator who makes spoken word pieces to being a musician who's on, you know, all these incredible platforms, getting 10 million view listens a, a month. It's because he was authentic. He was able to make that shift. And that's what separates, I believe, the long-term culture-shifting artists from those that die to the algorithm is the ability to be receptive to your own internal ideas and motivations. And I know I'm rambling here a lot, and I know that's the point of the podcast, but that's something I've become very passionate about is like, how do we be most authentic to ourselves? Maybe tomorrow I'm like, screw this YouTube stuff. I want to... I want to do something else. I want to just be a student. You go ahead and do that. The ability to just do what you want to do and trust that the audience is going to follow you. Trust that people that care will come along the ro- the ride is a powerful thing. And that in turn makes your presence way more concrete. And so there's a lot to unpack here, a lot to break down. I know I went through like the first 10 minutes were just me talking about the what I kind of did in terms of the content space but i want to outline it all in this video because i think that's slowly the shift we're seeing in 2023 um to more meaningful content but maybe not even just more meaningful content maybe it's a culture shift to more authenticity and so i've been thinking about that and those are kind of the thoughts i've had moving into this this era of my life and hitting 100,000 subscribers it's like It's just a result of all those things, you know? And I only attribute it to the ability to leap ship when something's working to something that's authentic. For example, me quitting Keep It Wholesome. I had so many people, like, genuine conversations with these, like, e-commerce entrepreneurs. They're like, dude, you have so much, you can make so much money. You can do this. You can scale it up. You should sell it. Like, all this different stuff around Keep It Wholesome. But none of it felt authentic anymore, and so I just walked away. That was one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life, but it's also reaffirmed this idea that if you just chase what is authentic to you, it's going to work out. I, I recently came across a picture that I posted on my story after right after I quit Keep It Wholesome. It was this horse looking off into the distance at my YouTube channel that was like low opacity, And my YouTube channel had like 20,000 subscribers at the time. And I posted that to the story being like, this is what's next. Pivoting from the business, pivoting from everything I was doing that was making money, that was doing well, to go to something more authentic, which was making long form content. And to see that that's worked over the past half a year, it actually has worked, has reaffirmed the fact that quitting the business was the right decision because it felt authentic. And so now, like bringing back the podcast felt authentic. Now, following that internal compass of what feels most authentic is something I'm very passionate about and making sure to incorporate always. And I think it's something you guys should also also pay attention to in your lives because that way you're going to be able to do what you do and do what you love for a long period of time. And that's something that not many people are able to do, I think. And so, yeah, it feels great. I think obviously I'll come into some some issues on YouTube itself, but the feeling of finishing like a 20 long, 20 minute long video 
that I really enjoy and, and put love into is, is valuable for sure. And I think this podcast is part of that as well. Like, I'm not just going to be talking about self-help or mental health. I'm going to be talking about anything that really kind of comes across the plate. Um, and I feel like this is one of the things I've become more passionate about in the past week. And um, the idea of just chasing that authenticity, you know, you can see it in every, you can see it everywhere, you know, not just like Lil Yachty, Lil Pump. You can see it like Tobuscus or PewDiePie. It might be a terrible example, but I'm trying to be more YouTube here. <laughs> but like, why is PewDiePie still getting millions of views? It's because he just decided to start vlogging one day because he liked it. He just switched. It was authentic. And it's scary. He might get less views for a bit, you know. But back in quarantine, I loved his uh, Minecraft series, right? But he ended that because he just didn't feel like doing it. There's no use in running into the ground if you feel like doing something else, right? I think that ability to switch is something that is 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 important to getting to that next level, which is what I believe. But yeah, that's kind of the outline of these ideas of that have been circulating in my mind in consequence of hitting 100k and in reflection of the path that I took to get to this point. Um, obviously, leaving out a lot of details as well as a lot of failures. Um, you know, I remember running that coin business back in the day, freshman year of high school, and just having so much anxiety, like staying up late. I set an alarm every time I got an order because there was no way to automatically fulfill orders in the game. And it's so I set an alarm and I'd wake up at like 4 a.m. if I got an order and then fulfill it and then go back to sleep and then wake up at like 7 a.m. and fulfill it and go back to sleep. My parents would help me fulfill orders. Customer service was crazy. People would charge back money. Um, I remember one of the days I got pissed because my Spanish teacher took my phone when I was literally like trying to fulfill an order. So it took like three hours for me to fulfill this customer's order. It's things like that that have been really tough or even like the grind that was YouTube for the year that I was making videos consistently or somewhat consistently to put your heart into everything and, and love this footage and create the story just for you to upload it and be like, that was terrible is the most demoralizing thing. But if you're just able to get over those few things, you know, that's what's going to lead you to figuring it all out. Um, and obviously, I think if you can break down these like extremely detailed, intricate pathways to, to quote unquote success, what I mean by that is it's not just like you have to edit videos like this. You have to do this. It's the bigger picture items. Like you have to be able to be more authentic. You have to be able to keep moving forward even when what you create and spend 100 hours on, 200 hours on, isn't great in your opinion. And if you can kind of do those two things and, and mix that in with the accelerator that is community, then then you'll be fine. So those are just the thoughts in general, 30 minute episode, feel very passionate about this one. Totally kind of not off on the topics of what this podcast usually is, but that's all right. Um, let me know if you have any questions, follow us on Instagram at weekly voice memos uh, and let us know, you know, Sam is helping me on the back end, like field a bunch of your DMS as questions. So he'll be kind of managing that, which will be definitely helpful. So yeah.
Sounds good. Much love, guys. We're on to week three. See you in one week. Hopefully this week goes well for you. Good luck. Keep killing it. Much love. And as always, keep it wholesome. Woo!